So as you know, we're doing this series on how we pay attention to what God is up to in our lives. How do we discern God's will? How do we, how do we obey it? How do we respond to it? Last week, we talked about the three things that we need to have in our lives. little quiz. What was over here? Word, spirit, community, you. Yes, good. So for the next three weeks, we're going to look at biblical characters and how God interacted with them and what lessons we can draw from God's relationship with them to how God interacts with us. So this week, we'll be looking at Abraham. Next week, we'll be looking at Jesus, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Jesus did a lot, too. And then the week after that, we're going to be looking at Jonah. So that's where we're going. So for tonight, we're going to look at Abraham, which means we're going to cover about 10 chapters of Scripture. And so um, you're going to want your Bibles, and we're going to be walking through them together. So get out your Bible. It's the black book in the pew in front of you. We'll start on page 8, Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12. Now, because we're kind of doing the big arc story of Abraham's life, there are incidences that we're not going to go into and we're not going to explore, and there's a lot of really fascinating things, and we could do an entire series simply on Abraham. We're not doing that. We're just looking for the overall pattern of his life. Now, remember, for Abraham, there wasn't a book of Psalms. There weren't any Ten Commandments. It was just him. It was just God coming and talking to him. So he had no word except for, you know, God, and he had no spirit except for, you know, God. He had no community except for God. It was just like him and God. That was it. So he didn't have a whole lot to lean on, and so he was kind of um, making his way the best he could, which I think is what most of us do. So this is how it starts. Genesis chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Abram, out of the middle of nowhere, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And that's how it starts. A covenant promise. God says, Abram, you're my guy. I got your back. We're in this together. I'm excited. Let's go. So Abram went. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took his wife Sarai and his brother's son Lot and all the possessions that they had gathered and the persons whom they had acquired in Haran, and they set forth to go to the land of Canaan. When they'd come to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through to the land, to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an offering to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved on to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and invoked the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on by stages toward the Negev. So that's how it starts. There's this great covenant promise, and then there's this obedient response. Abram, I want you to go. So Abram went. Very clear. 
And we're thinking, oh, this is going great. Like he totally gets it. God tells him to do something. God says, I got your back. God says, whoever curses you, I'm going to curse. Abram's like, this is awesome. This is great. Until chapter, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to reside there as an alien, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared on your account. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. When the officials of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, Pharaoh dealt well with Abraham. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female slaves, female donkeys, camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what's this you've done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and be gone. And Pharaoh gave men his orders concerning him, and they set Abram on the way with his wife and all that he had. How many of you even knew that story was in there? Okay, for how many of you it was like, I'm sorry, he did what now? Right? It's like God says, whoever curses you, I will curse. And as soon as he runs into a little bit of difficulty, he's like, Just tell them you're my sister. And Sarai has a whole lot to say about it. <laughs> Which I'm sure came up later in their relationship. <laughs> so she's, she's just taken off, and, and this is how it goes. There's this amazing covenant promised by God, and then there's just this, like, bam, flat on his face, fail. Like, hashtag Abraham, Abram fail, right there, just misses it completely, okay? So, covenant, failure. Chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, Oh, Lord God, what would you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you've given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. God brought Abram outside and said, look toward the heaven and count the stars if you're able to count them. Then he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. And we're like, okay, there we go. We're back on the game, all right? We straighten that out. I'm your shield. I'm your reward. I've got this. You're going to have a kid, your very own self. Your slave isn't going to get your stuff. Abram's like, got it. Great. Good. Chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bore him no children. She had an Egyptian slave girl whose name was Hagar, and Sarai said to Abram, you see that the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my slave girl that I should change children by her. So Abram listened to the voice of Sarai, which he should have done earlier probably. So 
After Abram had listened ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her slave girl, and gave her to her husband Abram as a wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my slave girl to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked upon me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Your slave girl is in your power. Do to her as you please. And Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she ran away from her. So, this is what we got so far. Covenant. Failure. Covenant. Failure. Chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram. Your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land where you are now an alien, all the land of Canaan, for perpetual holding, and I will be their God. Great. And then he gives them the sign of the circumcision, and then he has a little visit when he reminds them again, I'm really going to give you a son for reals. I got this now. It's all good. little interlude there with the whole Sodom business. And then we get to chapter 20. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the region of the Negev and settled between Kadesh and Shur. While residing in Gerar as an alien, Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she's my sister. Oh, that worked so good the last time. <laughs> and came Ab Abimelech of Gerar sent and took Sarah. Again, she has so much to say about this. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, you're about to die. Because of the woman you have taken, for she's a married woman. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, are you destroying innocent people? Did not he himself say to me, she's my sister, and she herself say he's my brother? I did this in the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands. And God said to him in the dream, yes, I know, you did this in the integrity of your heart. Furthermore, it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, then, return the man's wife, for he's a prophet. And he'll pray for you and you'll live. But if you don't restore, know that you shall surely die. You and all that's yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, as you would, and called his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid, as you would be. Then Abimelech called Abram and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I sinned against you that you brought such great guilt on me and my kingdom? You've done things to me that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What were you thinking that you did this? Abraham said, Well, I did it because I thought there's no fear of God in this place and they're going to kill me because my wife. Because, well, really, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And then she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you can do to me. 
at every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham and restored his wife Sarah to him. Abimelech said, my land is before you. Settle where it pleases you. To Sarah, he said, look, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It's your exoneration before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed fast all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Wow. So here's what we got. We got covenant, failure. Covenant, failure. Covenant, failure. That's what we got. But then finally, chapter 21. Oh, good news. The birth of Isaac. Whew. The Lord dealt with Sarah as he said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he promised. Sarah conceived and bore Abram a son at the time which God spoke. Abram gave the name Isaac. Woo! We're like, yeah, there we go. All right, so here's what we got. Covenant, failure, covenant, failure, covenant, failure. <gasps> Fulfillment of the promise. Yay! And everyone lived happily ever after. Until chapter 22. After these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. Now, if you've grown up in the church, you know what happens next. They, they walk, they walk, they walk. They get to the base of the mountain. And Abraham sends the two servants back. He says, you guys just stay here. And he and Isaac proceed up the mountain and as they're walking, Isaac says, hey, Dad, we've got the wood and we've got the fire, but we don't have a lamb. And Abraham says, God will provide the lamb. And they walk to the top. And Abraham builds an altar. And he binds Isaac. And he puts him on the altar. And just when he's ready to bring his hand down, and Angel says, that's good. Nope. Nope. We're good. Now that we know that you're in this, you are all in. It is perfectly fine. Step aside. There's a ram right there. Use that instead. What? What is happening here? This is a crazy story, and this is kind of how it ends. So they go back down the mountain, and who knows what they said to Sarah after this whole thing. <laughs> but this is kind of the last big event that happens in their lives. Sarah dies. Isaac grows up. Abraham, by the way, remarries. Did you know that? He remarries. He has like six more kids. And then he dies. And then Isaac and Ishmael come together to bury him. So, covenant failure, covenant, failure, covenant, failure, <gasps> promise fulfilled, really crazy story on the mountain. 
And that's kind of the arc of Abraham's life. Now, what can we learn from God, about God, from this story? What does this story have to do with us? What in the world can we learn from that? There are many things. We're going to look at three. The first big thing we can learn from the arc of Abraham's story is that God repeats his promises. He doesn't just tell Abram once. He tells him again and again and again and again. Because as soon as Abraham gets a little freaked out, he just completely forgets everything. As soon as he gets scared, as soon as there's a crisis, God has to come back, eyes up, remember who I am? I'm the Lord. You and me, we're in this together. Okay, I'm your shield. I'm your fortress. We can do it. Again and again and again and again. Because Abram's a little forgetful. On Friday night, my husband and I went to see a movie, and before the movie that we saw, there were the previews of coming attractions, and one of them was the preview of the sequel to Finding Nemo, which is called Finding Dory. Now, for those of you who saw Finding Nemo, you remember that Dory has a particular problem. What is it? She can't remember anything. So in the little uh, scene that was part of the preview, you've got Dory and then Nemo and his dad, and they're trying to get her to remember something. It goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And my husband leans over to me. He's like, this could get annoying after a while. Yes. Yes, it does. When you're trying to say something to someone and it's really important and you want them to get it and they keep going, I, what? What? what did, did you say something? Sorry, what did you say? Was it this? No, right? That's like, oh, come on, pay attention. God repeats his promises because he knows his people are forgetful. And so he doesn't just say it again and again and again to Abraham. He says it again and again and again to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the sons of Jacob, the people of Israel, through the prophets, through the kings. He says it again and again and again and again. I am the Lord your God. I love you. I have called you. You are mine. And he has to say it over and over and over again because the people of God all the way up to 2016 are incredibly forgetful. And this is why we come together and worship regularly. Because when we are in worship, God says, remember this? Do you remember this? Do you remember this? Because by the time Monday morning about 10.30 comes and we've got a test, we completely forget and we freak out and we make bad choices. And then we got to go, oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. God said he was going to take care of me. God said I could trust him. That's right, that's right. I can, right. That's why we have chapel every day. Because we need to remember this stuff all the time because our brains are just like a sieve. They're like a colander. God puts the good stuff in and just goes whoosh right through. God repeats his promises over and over and over again. Thanks be to God. The other thing we learn from this story of Abraham is that God 
redeems his mistakes. So he does this whole thing with Pharaoh, and Pharaoh comes, and he should say to him right there in that moment, you lied to me, you die. He should have killed him. He had every reason to kill him. He doesn't. What does he do instead? Oh, here's some camels. I got some donkeys over here. And uh, you need some sheep. I think you're a little short on sheep. And then he sends him out wealthier than when he came. Abimelech does the same thing. Why did you do this to me? I can't believe you did this to me. He should kill him right there. Instead, he's like, you know, I've got a thousand shekels of silver. Why don't you just take these? It makes no sense. But God is working here because he's going to establish a people, and those people are going to need some funds. And so Abraham gets sent out from these places wealthy, swimming in wealth. He comes really from nothing. We really don't know his backstory. He has some stuff when he moves in, and God redeems his mistakes. He says, yeah, I know, you're kind of an idiot here, but I'm going to pull you out of the fire on this one. I'm going to make your life better than it was before. And he also does this with Hagar and Ishmael. In this amazing, tender narrative, the angel of God goes out and finds her after Sarah has sent her away. And he says, come on, my, my promises are for you. Your little guy's going to grow up and he's going to be a handful. But you know what? God loves him. And he's going to have a multitude. God redeems Abraham's mistakes again and again and again and again. On this campus, we have the Office of Judicial Affairs, which could be called the Office of Redeeming Mistakes. Jane Hendricksma and Ralph Johnson are the two people who run this. And for those of you who have no idea what this is, this is where students go when they get in a little trouble. And we get to see God's work in the lives of students who've made bad choices. And one of the stories was a student whom I'll call Ryan. Several years ago, he came in as a freshman, and he was an athlete. His sport was in the spring, and he was looking forward to it. But as fall moved into winter, people started to notice that Ryan was putting on a great deal of weight. He was missing classes. He started to miss practices, and he was exhibiting signs of behavior that his RA and his RID knew pointed to illicit behavior. So they searched his room, and they found a lot of pot, and they searched his car, and they found a lot of pot, and Ryan was dismissed from Calvin. And he was mortified. He was embarrassed. He was ashamed. He got a job doing manual labor, and he just worked his body for 10 hours a day. And he went to a clinic to get sober, to get clean and sober. And so he was working his heart and his mind and his body. And he decided that he was going to turn his life around. And so he reapplied to Calvin. He was accepted. He got in. He was fit. He competed. He did well. He met someone. They got married. And now he's like, got a job. He has a Calvin degree and a job. All right? Yeah. <laughs> and if you would have said to Ryan, 
Actually, if you would have said to Ryan's parents when this all happened, just wait. God's up to something. They wouldn't have believed it. Because when you're in the middle of the mistake, it's hard to believe that God is up to anything. Ryan looks back on that now, and he says, that was the best thing that ever happened to me, getting caught, because it made me face my stuff. Now, I don't know what mistakes you bring in here tonight. It could be around marijuana, or alcohol, or porn, or sex. Maybe someone in here has had an abortion or had a girlfriend who had an abortion. Maybe you're stealing. Maybe you got caught for plagiarism and you're on academic probation. I don't know. But I do know this. When it comes to our mistakes, the enemy is very good at saying, don't tell anybody. This is too big of a thing. You should just carry this shame. This is too big. No one wants to hear about your mess. The Holy Spirit says, I get to work in the mess. The mess is where I thrive. The mess is where I do my business. The Holy Spirit says, God redeems your mistakes. God can take this thing and turn it around if you just give it to him, if you trust him. God redeems people's mistakes. Abraham should have been killed at least twice, and instead he walks away with money. The only explanation is God. So this is what we see in the story of Abraham. We see a God who repeats his promises over and over and over again. We see a God who redeems mistakes over and over and over again. And we see a God who rules no matter what. No matter what. If you're paying attention, there's some weird foreshadowing stuff that happens in Abram slash Abraham's life that then gets played out later. So, there's a famine in the land. He and Sarai go to Egypt. Sound familiar? Yes. Right? This is Jacob. This is the sons of Jacob. Who's already in Egypt by the time they get there? Joseph. And who's he working for? Pharaoh. You see, because of the Nile River, there was always grain production in that particular area. Well, the rest of the area could be struck by drought. That was the area that had food. So people went there generation after generation, drought after drought. Egypt was the place to go. Abram and Sarai go. They do the whole, oh, no, she's my sister. Totally, yeah, go. And then, what does God do to Pharaoh? Did you notice? How does he punish him? Plagues. Just a few plagues. Afflicts him with some plagues. And Pharaoh doesn't know. Abram doesn't know. Sarai doesn't know. But that's foreshadowing. And then, when it's time for them to go, Pharaoh sends him out with a whole bunch of stuff. You know what happens after the 10th plague? The Egyptians say to the Israelites, here, take my bracelets, take my gold, take everything, just get it and go. Now, if you're an Israelite and you've been in Egypt for 390 years, 
and that's all you've known, how often would you tell this story? How often would you tell this? Well, I remember Abram. Remember what Pharaoh did for him? Remember the plagues? And then once Moses showed up and the plagues started happening, wouldn't you be like, whoa, I think I've read about this somewhere. You see, God is never surprised. In chapter 15, as part of the covenant that he gives to Abram, he says to him, hey, by the way, this land's going to be great. I just want to give you a heads up. Your people, your descendants, your folks, they are going to be aliens in a strange land. They're going to be there about 400 years. And then I'm going to have judgment on the people who uh, have them, and then I'm going to set them free, and they're going to come on back. You, Abraham, you're going to live a long life. It's all going to go well for you, but just a heads up, this is coming in the future. God rules all the time. God isn't surprised. They go down to the land of Goshen. They become slaves. It's not like God's going, oh, man, shoot, what? (laughs) God rules through everything. Did Abram know? Mm -mm. Did Sarai know? No. Do we know? Yes. That also is really important when you read chapter 22. Abram and Isaac go up on a mountain. They go up, and it's a day's journey. It's like, why this mountain? Why here? Why? This feels like the middle of nowhere, because at that time, it was. But that was a mountain that would later be turned into a city, that would later have a temple, that would later have three crosses, right? there. And on one of those crosses, God's son, his only son, whom he loved, would be sacrificed for the sins of the whole world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's a really subtle detail in the text. Did you notice this? How long did it take them to get there? On the third day, Abram builds the altar. On the third day, Abram binds his son. On the third day, God provides a substitute. On the third day, he says, do not kill your own son. Does Abram have any idea why he had to do this? No. Do we? Yes. What God gives his people for generation after generation after generation is a powerful image, a powerful story that no one can quite make sense of until the Son of God, who considered equality with God, not something to be exploited, empties himself, takes the form of a servant, is obedient even to death on a cross, dies, and then rises again in glory. And that's why this is our story. And that's why this is our God. Because Jesus Christ has died and rose again. All of us who are Gentiles, all of us who are outside are brought in, are brought near, and we are the ones who get to say we are children of Abraham. 
We are the ones who get to say now. We are people of the covenant. We are the ones who get to say when we are baptized, we are stepping in to the covenant waters. Because of Jesus Christ, we say this is my story and this is my God. This God who repeats his promises over and over. This God who will redeem our mistakes. This God who rules no matter what. This is our God. This is our God. This is your God. We follow him.